Let us pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, guide us as we reflect on the nature of the Church in the 21st century. Open our hearts to your generous spirit. Fill us with your love. Keep us through Jesus in the way we should go. Amen. Well, good morning, and uh, thank you very much for the invitation to take part in this National Prayer Breakfast. Um, Stephen was extremely generous in what he said. Of course, actually, I'm a replacement speaker. Uh, uh, there was going to be someone else, which is why you all came. And um, it reminds me, you, you probably all know the story of the uh, uh, bishop who went to a parish and found almost no one had turned up to hear him. It happens to me quite regularly. And uh, he said to the vicar, didn't you tell them I was coming? And the vicar said, well, no, my lord, I can't understand it. I didn't tell anyone at all you were coming. <laughs> I've been to this event on a few occasions, but I never imagined that I would have the privilege of speaking at it. Um, Stephen said that I know a lot about the global church. Caroline and I are indeed uh, traveling to all 37 provinces of the Anglican Communion uh, last year and this. Uh, we got back from uh, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and North and South India about 10 days ago. Um, so really, I'm much more qualified to talk about global airports uh, than I am about global church, but there we are. But before I begin, I also want to pay tribute to Paul Goggins, who was to be the chair of this year's prayer breakfast uh, before his tragically early death in January. Although our paths did not cross in Parliament, his reputation as a man of great integrity, with a commitment to tackling the injustices he saw around him, inspired by a deeply held faith, means that he will be sorely missed and will be remembered with great warmth and affection for many years to come, as was shown in the parliamentary reaction to, <coughs> to his death. And I'm also very grateful to Stephen for chairing this morning's proceedings and to all those who've made it possible. The author of The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, Edward Gibbon, which I was given by my wife shortly after we married, I think because I was traveling a lot, um, and she thought I needed to fill the empty hours, which indeed I read, and it is worth reading, but it does take a while. But very early on in uh, the first volume, he says this, uh, the religions of the Roman Empire were to the people all equally true, to the philosophers all equally false, and to the magistrates, which is you lot, all equally useful. Well, he was wrong. He may have been right about what they thought, but he was suggesting that that's the role of religion, and whatever else the church is, I hope and pray that we'll never just be useful. What a dreadful condemnation that would be. There have been moments when we've fallen into that trap and the walls of Lambeth Palace aligned with archbishops looking useful. <laughs> Bit like Hogwarts. <laughs> but it's always happened when we've lost sight of the fact 
that at the heart of being a Christian is knowing Jesus Christ, so that together as we meet with him and share in worship, we find ourselves renewed and strengthened for the call of carrying the cross and following him. The speaker alluded to the state of the world in which we find the global church, an uncertain world, uncertain forces, Iraq we've heard of, Nigeria, so often and easily forgotten, Syria, the Holy Land, one could go on and on. And the global church of the 21st century is in some ways always the same as it always has been, a blessing to the world, a call to Christ. We saw that in Isaiah and Acts, the fabulous poetry of Isaiah, describing a country, a place of renewal and human flourishing, of the overflowing of the abundance of God in which all benefit. The Acts, a new society created in which generosity is the watchword, confidence in Christ the foundation, love for another, one another, the way of living. Human flourishing, holy, growing, suffering, hospitable, a generous church. The church, though, is a suffering church in this century. It is growing, and in growing it suffers. It carries a cross. That is as true today as ever, and the last few years have demonstrated the truth and cost of that reality. A couple of years ago, a couple of weeks ago, as I said, Caroline and I were in Lahore in Pakistan. I just incidentally, there's, I'm just going to go off piste for a moment, which I probably shouldn't, but there we are. Um, just remember in your prayers our diplomatic service around the world. We've seen a lot of them in the last year. They are unbelievably good, and they get absolutely no credit anywhere for the extraordinary work they do. And it's worth praying for them. They're also ruthlessly pragmatic. I won't say where, but one ambassador um, very kindly lent us the official armoured vehicle uh, because the ambassador thought that someone probably from the General Synod would try and put the <laughs> Church of England out of its misery. And, um, and, and I said, I'm really sure it's not necessary, you know, don't you need it more than I do? And the ambassador said, uh, said oh, I'm, I'm not concerned about you, but you have no idea of the impact on my career if you're assassinated <laughs> while you're on my patch. So they keep their feet on the ground. But in Lahore two weeks ago, we met some of the clergy and the Bishop of Peshawar who were involved in the bomb explosion last September at All Saints Church, an Anglican church in which over 200 people were killed. And you ask them, well, presumably, how are things recovering? Are, are people still going to church at all? Oh, they said the congregations tripled. It is a suffering church and a church of courage. In the routine list of dioceses around the world that we pray for, last week was Damaturu, which none of you probably would have heard of, almost none of you. It's in northeast Nigeria. I know the bishop there. That the people of that diocese have been scattered to the four winds by Boko Haram. 
Its bishop is in hiding and danger is all around for those few Christians who remain. The girls of Chibok who were kidnapped and still held were from a part of that region, which is a Christian part. The global church is a profoundly suffering church. It's cross-shaped. It carries a cross of suffering, but also it carries a cross for the salvation of the world. That has always been a scandal since the first few centuries. Early doubters, attackers of the Christian church say, how can you worship someone who died on a cross? But it is a scandal of which we should be proud. We boast in the cross of Christ. It tells us that each of us here, each of us, all of us, needs God, need God's rescue because we cannot rescue ourselves. It calls us the cross to prayer and worship, passionate devotion to Jesus who died for us. The church of the 21st century clings to Christ in prayer, finds its strength in prayer and prays together. It prays with all who will pray. And we see new communities of prayer springing up across Europe and around the world, communities like 24-7, full of young people serving their community, living in hardship in order to be a blessing to the poor. And so the 21st century church is very like all other churches in history. It's unchanged there is, because it saves, serves a faithful God who loves and suffers on the cross and is with us at every moment in the darkest times as well as the brightest. And it's a united church. It's a church that prays and worships and has its ultimate values in the faithfulness of God. It holds together, it belongs to one another. All Christians belong to one another as sister and brother, not as mutual members of a club. Through all our differences of culture, and we belong to one another, not because we choose to, but because God has made us that way. You can choose your friends, but you're stuck with your relatives. And I have to tell you that all who follow Christ are relatives. So you're stuck with me and I'm stuck with you, so we better get used to it. And that last point is crucial to understanding how we act as the church in the 21st century. We do not have the option if we are to love one another, of simply ditching those with whom we disagree. To take a very parochial, local issue, in the Church of England we have the vote next month on women bishops in the General Synod. It is not a win-lose, zero-sum game. I hope and expect that the vote will go through, and I rejoice in that. But I also rejoice that we are promising to seek the flourishing in the church of those who disagree. You don't chuck out family. You love them and seek their well-being even when you argue. In the Church of England, we are seeking to start a radical new way of being the church. Good and loving disagreement a potential gift to a world of bitter and divisive conflict. What can be more radical as God's people than to disagree well, not by abandoning principle and truth, but affirming it, agreeing what is right, acting on it, and yet continuing to love those who have a different view. And so in this century, we do not abandon truth found in scripture, 
applied afresh in each generation. We can't decide that there are bits of the body of Christ that are excluded. To put those two statements together is hard and always controversial. The Anglican Communion by itself, and it's only one small part of the global church, is in 165 countries, one of which Nigeria has 407 language groups by itself. We deal in thousands of cultures. The struggle, the achievement of holding together in good disagreement sets a pattern in which truth is not a club with which to strike others, but a light freely offered for a path of joy and flourishing. The poor are not served by a divided church obsessed with inward issues. Pope Francis said last year, and Cardinal Vincent Nichols and I picked up and used together in the weeks before Easter the slogan, listen to God, hear the poor. When we listen to God, we are looking outwards, not inwards to the life of the church. A 21st century global church with all Christians irrevocably belonging to each other through the action of God, seeking to discern truth in many thousand cultures, is a church with fuzzy edges, because that's a technical theological word, by the way. Because in a world in which cultures overlap constantly and are communicated instantly, and judging from what I get often with some friction, you need space to adapt and to meet with one another, and you have to trust the sovereign grace of God for the consequences. The comments that even 20 years ago took months to reach the far corners of the earth, now, as we know, take seconds. Instant reaction has replaced reflective comment. That is a reality that you deal with in politics, and it demands a new reality of ways in which we accept one another, love each other, pray for each other. The best answer to a complex issue on which one has heard a soundbite from a sophisticated argument is not always given in 140 characters. The church of this century must be a generous church. Because of that communications revolution, because of technology, because we are face to face with everyone everywhere always in a way we never have been in history. The church is a generous church that loves truth and loves people with the overwhelming love of God in Christ. As Christians, we believe that God reaches out to us unconditionally and we are to do the same for others. God has no preferences, except a preference of love for the poor, the weak and the vulnerable, the widow and the orphan, the alien and the stranger. The church is the most effective church when it demonstrates that love. And with that comes the obligation of holiness, of being ourselves but not turned inwards, but living in holy lives that draw people to the blessing of which Isaiah spoke. The speaker spoke eloquently of poverty. And the church around the world today tackles poverty. We're amongst the biggest educators on earth 
In this country alone, we educate nearly a million children in the Church of England, another half million through the Roman Catholic schools. And let me say, no recent problems were in one of the church schools. It is the church schools that stand for tolerance, acceptance, reception, generosity, open-handedness. Education is something which the church has done for centuries, which it held in its monasteries when the, West of the rest of the world gave up on it in Western Europe. And we do it today. International aid. The church of the 21st century is amongst the most efficient and the best deliverer of help for the poor that exists on the face of the earth. And I just, again, sorry, I'm going to go off piste again for a brief moment, watching the clock, that isn't it wonderful? Let's celebrate what's good. I, it's easy to be cynical about politics, but let's celebrate what's good, that with cross-party support in this country, we have maintained international aid at 0.7% of GDP. <laughs> that we have introduced, again, across the parties, the modern slavery bill, lead leading the world and tackling trafficking, which I was talking to the Pope about yesterday. That last week, again, across politics. There was support for the greatest conference on sexual violence and conflict that has existed. Those aren't cynical vote winners from any politician in this room, but they arise from a spirit of generosity which is right and proper. Love and outward looking should be the characteristic of the church holiness, radical difference in lifestyle. And truth and love drive action and attitude. The Church in the Democratic Republic of the Congo has loved and aided the victims of conflict-driven sexual violence for many years. We were there in January in a place of the utmost despair in which the light that shone was the light of Christ. A tent, I remember, full of handicapped children dying hungry and alone, apart from the church people who went in to sit with them. It was overwhelming. In the South Sudan, again in January, Caroline and I were there, and we were called a couple of days before we got there by the Archbishop Daniel Deng, one of the great heroes of the faith, and he said, would you come up to Bore with me, a town in the middle of the fighting zone? Well, we did. There was slight objection from some people, but we did. And we went up, and we found a town that had been taken and retaken four times. Bodies on the streets, the smell of death in 40 degrees of heat everywhere. Mass graves to consecrate. And what does Daniel do? He goes on national television in the South Sudan and calls for reconciliation. Isn't that extraordinary? Doesn't that speak of what the church should be? And in Sudan, the church is also speaking heroically for an imprisoned woman and her two children, Miriam, for whom truth matters enough to die. A 21st century church loves the poor and the victim and stands for human dignity. 
challenges oppressors and supports victims. It speaks for women killed in lynchings called honour killings or for those imprisoned under blasphemy laws. It does all that despite its own suffering, truth and love embrace. And it's a forgiven church because it's a failing church. The church is always full of failure, and I'm sorry to say that's simply because it's always full of people. Without wishing to be controversial, you're sinners. So am I. I once, gave, once said that in a sermon, and someone came up afterwards and said, I'd never have come and listened to you if I knew you were a sinner. <laughs> One does despair slightly. The church is forgiven and knows the forgiveness of God, and if it's doing its stuff, shares it in the 21st century. It knows failure and recognizes the need for renewal. I saw Pope Francis yesterday. I'm sorry to name drop, but it's irresistible. Um, <laughs> and at the end of the meeting, he summed it up when he said, remember the three Ps, prayer, peace, and poverty. He did a lot better than me this morning. It had been shorter. At its best, such a church is diversity established and accepted, forgiveness abundant, people listened to with love, prisoners set free, the poor served, Jesus loved and worshipped passionately, and that love for Jesus, meaning that we recognize in the stranger the call of Christ to love, the good news of all that shared with confidence, and people invited to join with us to become his disciples and feast on his love, and a community that challenges radically all the assumptions of what makes for success through the reversal of importance and the holding together of weak and strong and a million more things besides. And lastly, we are a hospitable church in the 21st century if we follow Christ, utterly at home in a world of numerous faith traditions, open about the hope we have while listening to others. In Lent, I spent some time with Ibrahim Mogra, the remarkable Muslim leader from Leicester, and we shared together our scriptures. We, I read bits of John's Gospel with him, and he read bits of the Quran with me. Hospitable. That belonging to one another, being different, diverse, and yet authentic to oneself and one's tradition and the truth is a gift this world needs. It's the opposite of all this Trojan horse process. It is a generosity of spirit and openness to listen. The 21st century church knows that the good news of Jesus Christ is a gift which is to be shared in witness. Making new disciples now is as important as it was in the first century, in the sixth century when Augustine came to Canterbury, in the eighth and ninth during the Dark Ages, and learning and civilization were brought back. At the Reformation, when the rights of the individual to know God themselves and to be free began to be established through the work of the churches. In the 18th century, when knowledge was treasured and developed by clergy. In the 19th, 19th when the campaign against slavery began and continues. The call to discipleship is always offered without manipulation as hospitality, respecting the freedom of others to say no, 
without aggression and always in love, but it is offered. The church is not an NGO with lots of old buildings. It is the church of God rejoicing in the realities of cultural diversity in a way never known before, global, cross-bearing, confident and welcoming. The church holds for the world the treasure of reconciliation and offers it as a, as a gift freely given out of its own experience of struggling with the reality of it, of being reconciled ourselves through the sovereign love of God in Jesus Christ. The global church is above all God's church for all its failings and in passionate devotion to him will offer the treasure he puts in our hands unconditionally, always pointing in worship, deed, and word to Jesus Christ. Amen.